Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, good morning, church. So good to see you all here this morning. I met a young family this morning who are here because a week ago Saturday, we had a team of people canvassing the neighborhood close to us, uh, dropping pamphlets and mailboxes and sticking them under welcome mats and that kind of thing. They got an invitation. They showed up. So that's great. Glad to have you all here whether you're a first-time visitor or you're ancient. You can take that however you like. (laughs) Glad to see you here. If Jesus himself stood among us this morning, literally, if he was here in the flesh, in all of his glory and wonder and majesty and power and supremacy, and he were to grant you one wish, what would you wish for? I mean, anything your little heart desires, you could have. So what's your request? Do you ask for a new house with seven bedrooms and four bathrooms and, and uh, two cleaning ladies and a pool in the backyard? Maybe. Or, or perhaps a, a rustic cabin in, in the Muskokas with a white sandy beach and a speedboat tied to the dock. Perhaps uh, all expenses paid month-long Caribbean cruise in the middle of February. Or, or perhaps a guided riverboat tour of Scandinavia. What? Or maybe a Stanley Cup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> now we're talking. If Jesus stood here among us this morning and agreed to give you one wish, what would you ask for? You see, that actually happened once. It actually happened, and it's recorded in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. One day, God said to Solomon, who is the son of David, he said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Are you serious? Ask me for whatever you want me to give you? Here's my list. (laughs) But in the end, this is how Solomon replied. 2 Chronicles 1, verse 10. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? I mean, when he could have asked for anything on the planet, he asks for wisdom. What's up with that? And this is how God replies in verse 11. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. But that's not all. And I will also give you wealth, 
possessions and honors, such as no king who was ever before you ever had, none after you will have. So make sure you ask for the right thing <laughs> when your time comes, if it comes. You know, about a thousand years after Solomon's encounter with God in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, James takes this whole concept of wisdom and really begins to develop the idea and, and the importance of wisdom in his letter. And as Ron read just a moment ago, he begins in James chapter 3, verse 13, with a challenge. It's a challenge. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him, let him show himself. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, for, for James, wisdom was not intellectual. It was not a, a purely academic exercise. Uh, wisdom actually changes the way we live. It, true wisdom changes our conduct. That's the presupposition that James is operating with. And so here again, we see the important link between faith and works. We've been talking about that in our series in James, the importance of faith and works and how do they go together like a horse and carriage. And the guy actually sang that ditty a little few weeks ago, crazy. Uh, they go together in the meekness of wisdom. So now having issued the challenge, James moves quickly to compare worldly or earthly wisdom to godly wisdom. And he begins, of course, with a description of worldly wisdom in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. Worldly wisdom is counterfeit. Worldly wisdom is that wisdom that comes from the cosmos, from the world, the system of, of, of life and values and standards that has nothing to do with God. That's what the world is. We're talking about the planet, Earth. We're talking about the system and the values and the standards that... that people who do not live for God and by faith in God possess. Worldly wisdom, that kind of wisdom, is counterfeit wisdom. Compared to the wisdom that comes down from above, it's fake wisdom. You've heard of fake news once or twice, haven't you? Well, this is fake wisdom. Patty and I were invited to a church planting uh, conference earlier this year in the month of April in New York City. And we had one free afternoon, and we used that afternoon to take a walk. We walked through Battery Park, that beautiful park that's on the southern tip of Manhattan Island. And I discovered that in Battery Park, you can buy just about anything. And I mean anything. If you, you talk to the right guy, you could probably buy a kitchen sink. It's just everything's available, but it's all fake. It's all counterfeit. It's all, they're all knockoffs. Fake handbags and fake shoes and Fake watches, you can buy them at a fraction of the price of the original, but they are counterfeits. They're imitation. They're fake. The book of James is making the point that there is a huge, major difference between the wisdom of the world 
and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world is fake wisdom. It's counterfeit. It's not the real thing. It's not what we should be after. You cannot trust worldly wisdom and hope to be wise in the sight of God and please God. If you live your life out according to the wisdom of the world, it just is not going to make God happy. What's this? Partly because of where it comes from. Partly because of the source of wisdom. Have a look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, he says, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's kind of going from bad to worse, isn't it? That's a degradation. That progresses from bad to worse. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic? Yeah, there is a wisdom that comes from hell. It comes from the devil. Remember Genesis chapter 3? you'll be you'll be wise you'll be like god if you just eat this fruit it's it's demonic wisdom really it's earthly It, it, it has nothing to do with the people of god and so so obviously obviously james is not talking about how to do mathematics well he's not talking about you know two plus two equals four well if if a christian didn't come up with that with that formula then it must be wrong no 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 he's not talking about things like mathematics or learning how to drive a car or choosing between carpet and hardwood for your new house. Worldly wisdom is that body of knowledge that ignores or denies the existence of God and His power. It's, it's, it's otherworldly, it's, 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 it's unspiritual, it's, it's ungodly, it's, it, it, it's, it lives and operates in defiance of God. And, and the problem is that Most of the people in our culture, and unfortunately, a lot of people in our churches, have become so accustomed, we've become so accustomed to earthly wisdom that we can't tell the difference between that and the real thing. And it's scary. It's really scary. I was recounting to somebody else earlier in the week, after one Sunday morning message, uh, you know, where I just preached my brains out and my hair was on fire. Somebody came up and engaged me and, and t- we we're talking about the verses and, and, and they said, well, you know, in relationship to that, Oprah Winfrey said, I went, what? What are you talking about? I, I just about went outside and hit myself upside the head with a two by four. We've become so accustomed, you see, to earthly wisdom, that we don't pay any attention to the source of that wisdom. Where is that coming from? I mean, and, and, and you know, I'm not trying to spank anybody this morning, especially myself, because we, we, we're, you know, you, you, you're, you're part of the public school system for, for 12 years and, and go to university and maybe do a master's degree and, or, or beyond. And so for 12 or 16 or 18 years of our lives, we're living... You know, we're living in that world, we're, 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 we're being taught, we're, we're under the influence of teachers, uh, professors who may or may not be godly. And then we read Newsweek and, and McLean's and National Post and Windsor Star every morning. And we troll through Facebook and Snapchat and, and Instagram every five minutes. And, and that's what's feeding our minds 24-7. I mean, you, you, you'd have to have a mental steel shield not to be affected by that. 
So it's quite natural that our culture, our society is being shaped by this earthly wisdom, by this worldly wisdom, the wisdom of evolution, the suitability of premarital sex, the prudence of pop psychology, the judiciousness of the Supreme Court of Canada. I mean, if they rule in favor, it must be okay, right? Right? Not necessarily. The advisability of conflict avoidance. Don't deal with your trouble, just avoid it. The sagacity of the gay agenda. But remember the source. Please remember where this stuff is coming from. After at all, it is 2017. Earthly, unspiritual, perhaps even demonic. Worldly wisdom views life from a limited, earthbound perspective. That's what we're talking about here. It doesn't see the things of life in light of eternity. It doesn't see, it doesn't analyze or, or judge things according to the word of God. What, it, it's all based on the immediate perceived benefit. What, what's best for self-advancement and self-pleasure and, and self-gratification? Right here, right now, that's what I want. It's further complicated by the motivation behind worldly wisdom. And James talks about that in verse 16. I'll have a look at the motivation behind it. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The motivation behind worldly wisdom is jealousy and self-centered ambition. In one of the acrostics I came, up, I came across uh, last week, uh, was FUB, F-U-B-B, stands for Fouled Up Beyond Belief. Actually came out of the Pentagon some years ago, post-World War II. Fouled Up Beyond Belief, FUB. Where you have jealousy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It's fouled up beyond belief. Worldly wisdom measures everything by how it affects me, myself, and I. It's selfishly motivated. It's all about me, what I can get out of it. Well, how, what's my benefit? And, and that is not for us people. That is not for believers in Jesus. That's not what we're about. We need to be careful. Furthermore, we also need to examine the results. What's the fruit of worldly wisdom? Again, we're still looking at verse 16. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. So in a home that is marked by uh, selfish ambition and jealousy, you will have disorder and evil. In the workplace, it's marked by jealousy and selfish ambition. You will have disorder and evil practice. In a church that is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition, you will have disorder and every evil practice. Worldly wisdom, that wisdom that keeps God at a distance or out of the picture altogether, that worldly wisdom produces anger and bitterness and resentment and, and division and divorce and worse, worse. So let's be careful. And remember that godly wisdom is altogether different. Godly wisdom is altogether different than the wisdom of the world, the cosmos. We have a look at James 3, verse 17. 
Earthly wisdom is counterfeit, but godly wisdom is authentic. It's the real deal. And he says in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So godly wisdom is reliable and trustworthy. It's, it's genuine and dependable. And it comes from heaven. That's the source. <laughs> wisdom that comes from above. It comes from God himself. And this, of course, takes us right back to James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach. He's the source, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. So you don't get this wisdom from intellectual effort or academic prowess. Some of us are happy about that. <laughs> it doesn't come from practical experience either. This wisdom comes from above. It comes only to the people who seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It comes from spending time alone with God. It comes from experiencing God Himself, not just going to church and doing all the right things and keeping the rules. It comes from a personal, dynamic, robust experience of God Almighty Himself. And then if you were to look at a verse like 1 Corinthians 1.24, you very quickly realize in the New Testament that Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24. Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the source of our wisdom. Jesus is the fountain of all knowledge. He has become for us the wisdom of God. And if we want to be wise, we need to follow Him because He is the way the truth, and the life. So what's the motivation behind worldly wisdom? I mean, godly wisdom? What's the motivation behind it? Well, I think it's a little bit of reasoning that if, if, if only God can give this kind of wisdom, if He's the source of wisdom, then it, it must be motivated by a God-centered humility. Verse 17, James says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What a beautiful description of godly wisdom. James almost puts it into a poetic form in the Greek New Testament. This wisdom is God-centered, it's not self-centered. This wisdom is humble and unassuming, not proud and arrogant. This wisdom is, is wisdom that glorifies God, not the people who receive it or the people who demonstrate wisdom. God is the one who gets the glory, not us. I'm told on one occasion that President Abraham Lincoln was, had issued a command that would move some troops from one location to another. And when the Secretary of War received President Lincoln's command, he chose to disobey and told the people around him, the president is a fool. Well, when Lincoln was told of this conversation, he said, well, if Stanton said that I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is 
certainly almost always right. We shall see. And so as the two men talked, President Lincoln quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and he withdrew the, the, the decision. Wise man. A wise man. The wisdom that comes from above is gentle and open to reason. God-centered, not self-centered. You know, someone said to me a while back that if you're humble enough and wise enough, you can learn something from anybody. What are the results of godly wisdom? Verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Godly wisdom sows peace and brings about a harvest of righteousness. William Barclay, a New Testament commentator, draws attention to the fact that there is a kind of clever and arrogant wisdom which separates man from man and which makes a man look with superior contempt on his fellows. There is a kind of cruel wisdom that takes delight in hurting others with clever but cutting words. There's a kind of depraved wisdom which seduces men away from their loyalty to God. But the true wisdom at all times brings men closer to one another and to God. Ho, ho, I like that. True wisdom brings men closer to one another and to God. Why? Because it's wisdom that is sown in peace. And wisdom sown in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness being used in its broadest term here. Think about sowing peace in your home. Yeah. It brings you closer together and closer to God. Think for a moment about sowing peace at work. Oh, you would have to say that, preacher. Think about it for a minute. Sowing peace at work. It'll bring you closer together. And it might, in particular, bring you closer to God. Think about sowing peace in, in your church. It brings us closer together and closer to God. Wise people sow peace. Wise people sow peace. Say it with me. Wise people sow peace. Sometimes, you know, you're sowing on hard soil or thorny soil or rocky soil, but keep sowing anyway. Sooner or later, some of that Peace seed is going to fall on fertile soil. So peace. And eventually, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. So right about now, or maybe 10 minutes ago, you're sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, but how do I get more of that? I want more of that godly wisdom. How, how can I get that? How much does it cost? Well, it costs everything, by the way. It costs your life. But... That question really takes us right back to James 1.5, doesn't it? If any of you lacks wisdom, hello, 
then he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. It's almost like a promise, isn't it? Kind of like, maybe, perhaps, sort of. You need wisdom? Ask God who doesn't find fault with you because you're not wise enough in the moment because you had to come to him on your knees and ask for wisdom. He doesn't find fault. He gives you wisdom. Difficult things are happening with your business in China. Ask God for wisdom. Things are not going well at home. Ask God for wisdom. Work? Oh, brother. How many days, how many months, how many years before I retire? Don't live like that. Ask God for wisdom. How do I do this in a way that honors you, Lord? Show me. I need your wisdom. So, so, if Jesus stood before you today and he was able to grant you any wish, any request, what would you ask for? Right about now, you might say, turn down the air conditioning. <laughs> but apart from that, what would you ask for? You, you can have anything your little heart desires. Anything. Wisdom that comes down from above. And the rest will look after itself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we desperately need your wisdom. We need Jesus, who is the power and wisdom of God. And, and Lord, I, I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to come through for us in accordance with James 1.5. And, and especially when we consider that you have already given the quintessential wisdom of Jesus, who is our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption and all that we need. In Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our light and our strength and our song today. Father, would you, would you please give us the wisdom that we need to make further advances for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness? Would you, would you please give us wisdom as we reach out to our new neighborhood and see more families, more people come to our church as a result? Lord, would you please give us wisdom to raise our families in a way that's pleasing to you, families who seek hard after God and bring you much glory, new families and young families and families with kids and families without. We long to see our families grow wise in the things of God. And Father, would you, would you please give us wisdom for the next season of life, the next chapter. Lord, help us to know how to position ourselves for what you want to do in us and through us and with us and for us in the days ahead. Show us your ways, O oh God, and we will live like that. 
we ask all of this in the strongest name we know, the name of Jesus. Amen.